Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and welcome to my podcast. Each week, I focus on topics related to mental health and discuss ways to help you deal with issues like anxiety, depression, shame, guilt, PTSD, and more. I've spent the last 30 years researching the mind-brain connection and mental health. I worked with patients who suffered from traumatic brain injuries, struggled with anxiety, battled with learning issues, and often worked with families to resolve major relationship and communication problems. In this podcast, you will hear the advice I gave to my patients and the techniques I developed and used to help them find healing. My goal is to give you simple, effective and practical tips and tools to help you take back control over your mental, emotional and physical health. Before I begin today's discussion, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has supported this podcast, either by leaving a review, spreading the word, sharing episodes with friends and family and posting about this podcast on social media. I love reading your reviews and learning how I can make this podcast even more helpful. Now back to today's podcast. In today's podcast, I'm going to talk about how feeling and being alive is to feel and the importance of not bottling up feelings, but allowing yourself to face, embrace and process through them, especially the bad and the traumatic painful feelings. To be comfortable saying, I feel good, I feel bad, I feel. Feeling begins the healing. We aren't meant to live in a dead zone of feelings, yet we often prefer not to feel, especially when it comes to negative emotions. We sometimes will do anything to avoid the pain, the boredom, the sadness, the insecurity, or the emptiness. And what is often overlooked is that if we don't feel the pain, then we don't really experience the pleasure. Without this contrast, we actually numb ourselves to both the pain and the pleasure. Without this contrast, we can lose the appreciation and the perspective to be gained from the easy, peaceful and smooth flowing and joyful times. Without this contrast, we can't learn to stop sweating the small stuff. We need to learn to just be grateful to feel. Often people feel that being depressed or sad are made to feel that it's inconvenient to others or that something's wrong with them. You know, the comments are just like, get a grip and pull yourself together. This is especially bad in this current happiness culture climate that we live in, where we are made to feel like we are sinning or not trying hard enough if we're feeling down or sad or blue. We also need to watch out for the message of medicalizing misery, which is that a pill will numb and solve all your issues. This message goes something like this. If you feel sad or depressed or anxious or on edge or in pain or hurt, then there's something wrong with you and your brain and you are ill and need to suppress or control this with medication. This is so wrong. 
and it flies in the face of the logic that human suffering is pretty much unavoidable and needs to be processed and coped with. We don't live in a bubble. We live within the context of challenging life experiences with all its ups and downs and tragedies and bad decisions and mistakes. It's almost as though we must feel guilty or ashamed if we feel sad or worried. We're supposed to have fixed with scripture as though it was a magic potion or accept your label and take your meds as though it's a disease process in our bodies. Doing this keeps all the negative stuff trapped inside our brain and every cell of our body, creating a very negative feedback loop between the brain and the body and the mind, which will eventually break us. Feeling down can actually make you mentally strong. Some of your greatest character leaps have come from the hard times. This is how we develop wisdom and how we experience the spiritual need to reach out and help others based on what we have experienced. We need to get comfortable with just feeling and being and not always looking extrinsically for the happy high or to find a way out of the pain by putting something into us or doing something. There is a literal cleansing like a deep clean when you face and embrace stuff instead of stuffing stuff. To be alive is to feel. Emotions are real. They have consciousness, physics, and biochemistry as their fundamental operating systems. So, try as you might, but they aren't going away anytime soon, and they are going to explode volcanic mode unless processed and reconceptualized. So, how do we build our emotional endurance? The good news is we do have a switch. It's our minds. In today's podcast, we're going to be discussing how to deal with and understand and navigate and embrace and reconceptualize the ugliness and the misery of life. And to help me do this, I have my very good friend, Laurie, who is part of my network of professionals. She's also part of my advisory board for my clinical research, and she's in the studio with me today. Laurie is a brilliant lawyer and used to be a prosecutor and had some pretty rough experiences. Laurie, welcome to today's podcast. I'm so thrilled to have you in the studio with me. Thank you for letting me come and tell some stories today. Well, I'm so excited to share your story because uh, we were sitting over dinner one evening and when I was setting up this podcast and you know, really feeling the need to, to help people to experience their emotions and to really feel and to realize that this is part of the human condition. I was thinking of a story that you shared when you were still prosecutor and the one about the photographs and it, it was profound. It, was an, it impacted me tremendously and I just feel it really highlights the importance of what I've just been saying about the need to feel. Can you, first of all, just tell the listeners who you are, a little bit about your background, and then let's dive into this incredible story. Uh, well, uh, I am an attorney for uh, the mental health system here, which is how you and I first met. But before that, I was a prosecutor for 13 years. And um, one of my jobs as a prosecutor was to review crime scene photos to decide whether they were too gruesome for release to the media. But uh, this, this story that you and I talked about over dinner was, you know, there was an especially, every now and then we get an especially emotional case. And this was one of them. A young, a 13-year-old girl was raped and stabbed to death and left in a field. So I knew, you know, this was going to be a tough case. Mm. But the practice wow. was for the, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the practice was for the police to provide uh, these photos to me digitally and they would be numbered. And they would give me a heads up about the, the, the toughest pictures. So I sort of knew as I was clicking through them on my computer screen when I was going to be approaching one of these photos. 
And, you know, you've talked about this before many times in your podcast. You can, our bodies have these physical responses to stress, right? Absolutely. Okay, so you'll have to tell me what's going on here. But Mm -hmm. I basically, when I would look at these photos, I would get shaky hands. I would sweat. I would, my breathing would have this strange pattern. And like my eyes would even blink faster, almost like I didn't want to see what was going to happen next. (laughs) Wow. So your body was anticipating or responding to your mind at that at that moment. So the anticipation was there. So you, the police had already prepared you for this X photo number is going to be a really bad one. So your whole body, which is not designed, our, our brains and our bodies are not designed to handle. It's just that's not normal stuff, you know, to see people in, in murdered and so on. It's just not what we designed um, to. Mm-hmm. It's not how we are as humans. It's being without uh, optimism design can't handle that. So our body starts reacting to what our mind is experiencing mm-hmm. because our mind is moving through our body. So our sympathetic and our parasympathetic nervous systems start getting out of balance and we start experiencing an abnormal flow of chemicals and this we get this quantum energy through our body. And so all the things you just described was your body going into a hyper state of stress, which you can make work for you or against you. So that's pretty mm-hmm. much you know, your discomfort zones were all being activated. And it was telling you, hey, this is this is not normal. Your your body's got like alarm bells telling you. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly. So that that was happening. And I I did approach um, some of those very difficult photos. And then there was sort of a break in between. So I stopped on a photo and sort of caught my breath, you know, tried to regroup. And as I looked at this photo, I actually, I was surprised to find that this photo bothered me more than the others I'd been looking at. And it was simply a photograph of a girl's the girl who'd been murdered it was her hand and it was not it was not bloody or disturbed in any way but it was just palm down in the grass but she had this chipped fingernail polish and it was really a little girl's hand so you know she didn't have long fingernails her her fingers were still a little bit chubby the way little girl's hands are and i think you know in that moment it hit me how young this girl was she was a 13-year-old, but she was just still a girl. And in that same moment, I completely saw my daughter's hand. I completely saw my own seven-year-old's hand with the chubby fingers and the chip. You know, I, I think it was a bright colored fingernail polish. And I just immediately felt this rush of, well, I'll tell you, I felt intense regret. I felt some some kind of grief. I was, I was immediately so sad. And, and I, and for some reason I was feeling guilt. And, and to be honest, in the moment, I thought this was guilt over looking at the photos. There's this moment when you're looking at the photos that you think I am not supposed to be here. (laughs) You know, like you said, I'm not supposed to be seeing this. Mm. And my job was just to release the photos to the media or not. I wasn't the prosecutor prosecuting, you know, doing something about the criminal that had performed this act. I was sort of an outsider to that process. So I felt a bit helpless. So I thought that's what the guilt was. But when you get all these feelings at once, you don't always process what they all are. Absolutely. It's overwhelming. Um, It was a lot. It was a lot. So I, I tried to work through the rest of my day, some decisions about the photos, and I went home 
And I did what you've said, I've heard you say many times is exactly the wrong thing to do. (laughs) This was, this was, um, this was 10 years ago, right? This was in my pre relief days. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, but no, I was internalizing it. I was thinking about Mm. it. I was building some toxic thoughts around what this meant and Mm. what I was doing and what my son life was like. It was just this out of control tree that was growing inside my brain. And I went home and poured myself a glass of wine instead of having dinner. So I was doing two things that we're not supposed to do. <laughs> um, I was trying to put something inside of me, you know, to yeah. to help it or to or to not think about it or or whatever. So that was sort of my first reaction. Wow. But I did. I was lucky enough to have a husband who noticed that something wasn't right, and he he came to sit down with me at the table and ask me, you know, what was going on. And to be honest, I was reluctant about that. Maybe Dr. Leaf, you can explain why would I have been reluctant to share that that feeling initially with him? That was a that's an outstanding question because you, you mentioned the one thing that struck me uh, that you said the, the the range of emotions that you went through when you saw that photo in a range from and one of the emotions you said was guilt as though you shouldn't have been seeing the photograph or guilt that maybe thank goodness it wasn't your child I don't know whatever thoughts Mm. went through your head and I just think the mere fact that you it's it was just so hard to process so sometimes we're not ready to talk and it may have been at that moment that you it was just so much and you've been doing this had been doing this for quite a while looking at these kind of Mm -hmm. photos and probably your coping strategy, I'm guessing up to that point, because this is pretty common, was to, well, this is work and I will keep it. It's just too much to process. So you compartmentalize Mm -hmm. and put them in little boxes in your brain, but they festering. And then Mm -hmm. you get, then you get the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back. And uh, that's probably what this photograph was, especially because of the close link, you know, how you linked it up with your seeing it as though it was your own daughter. And I think that hit you. And it was just like so much to process. It was very difficult to speak about. And and you had trained yourself. We get into habits of not feeling. And like with your job, this is your prosecutor. You have to do this. This is what you have to do in order to cope. And you kind of had built up maybe a, a shell and a way and, and it had a way of dealing, which was to not deal. So when your husband sat down with you and asked you, he'd maybe not done that before, I don't know, but it was it was it was very hard for you to try and break that habit of not compartmentalizing. But it's a bit like Laurie, I often explain it like this that emotions are volcanic in nature, they're real. It's something I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. They're real and they contain all the the physical and fundamental conscious aspects of a memory. So they give it the color and they're alive and they're living. And if you keep pushing them into a closet of your mind, eventually they do explode because eventually the closet gets too full. And I think that's what happened with you is the closet got too full and it kind of started bursting open and you were trying to still keep it closed because you knew once you opened it that you had to start feeling those feelings. And we, we're not trained. We, we're not allowed to. We're kind of in, these, in this cultural mindset where we aren't allowing ourselves to express that. So mm-hmm. you started expressing it and carry on with your story. Does that, does that kind of answer your question? Yes, it does. And, you know, there's a culture uh, among law enforcement and prosecutors and people who come into contact, um, emergency personnel with gruesome scenes that you talk with each other about it maybe, but you maybe don't talk to your family about it because you don't want to bring someone else into mm-hmm. your mess. There's sort mm-hmm. of this idea. 
And you really hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, maybe your husband didn't always ask you this because he had just returned from a, uh, a military deployment, a mobilization to the desert where he'd seen a lot of very gruesome things via the kind of footage I was looking at, um, video actually, which I think is worse. And, and um, I didn't know that at the time. Wow. And so when he approached me and asked me what happened and, um, you know, I did finally tell him the story and, and how it looked like our, our daughter's hand and how it had affected me, he immediately had a response, you know, like he t was able to teach me how he had coped with that and that he'd experienced the same thing. And so all of a sudden, this horrible emotional response I had was turned into a point of connection for us a point of healing for me, healing for him, because he's now talking about his experience. Like it, it, it really flipped uh, the whole thing upside down when, when we were able to talk about it together. You all know I love coffee and I have spoken numerous times about the health benefits of organic coffee for brain health and mental health. So I was so excited when my children told me about Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic is a natural superfood company that specializes in mushroom-based drinks that benefit our immunity and energy and longevity and help us live healthier, more enhanced lives. I currently love the coffee with lion's mane and chugga. Both of these mushrooms have brain-boosting properties and really help me with focus, clarity, and creativity. And don't worry, the coffee does not taste like mushrooms. I love drinking this coffee while doing research and working on my new book and podcast prepping. Get 15% of your Four Sigmatic purchase today when you go to foursigmatic.com slash Dr. Leaf or use the discount code Dr. Leaf at checkout. That is D-R-L-E-A-F-F as in Freddie. Before we continue, I want to tell you about and invite you to my 2019 Mental Health Summit in Dallas, Texas, December 6 and 7. In this conference, you'll learn scientifically researched mental self-care techniques to help you overcome mental ill health, help others and help your community. You will not only gain more knowledge about the current problems in mental health care, but also about real, long-term, sustainable solutions and how to apply these solutions in your own life and in your community. In this summit, you will learn how to overcome mental health issues like anxiety and depression, learn how to help children and teens, learn correct nutrition and exercise to boost your mental health, learn how to identify and define your unique identity based on neuroscientific research, learn how to improve memory, learn how to help family members and loved ones who struggle with mental ill health, learn how to avoid burnout and manage stress, learn how to deal with disappointment, learn how to overcome intrusive and chaotic thinking, and so much more. For more information and to register, go to drleafconference.com. So your, the relationship between the two of you transformed after that. I remember you saying that. But there's something key in what you've just said, and that's he asked you the question. You'd both been trained not to bring these experiences home because of the fields of work that you were in. And so it was your training. So 
him asking the question pulled that closet open and he was able to, it also healed him because he was now had the opening for him to be able to talk about what he had gone through. Because mm-hmm. I remember you said as well that for a time it had really, you know, keeping that inside himself, it had affected him at home as well. Yeah, we were going through that early period that most military families go through right after your loved one comes home. We're sort of in this awkward space. We'd been, it, it, we'd actually been apart for 15 months. It was quite a long period mm. and a lot had happened, you mm. know, um, and he wasn't ready to share everything that had happened with him yet. And he wasn't caught up with our family and all the things that had happened while he was gone. So there was a gap between mm. us. And I always thought it so ironic that this, it was this terrible thing <laughs> mm. that sort of was a thread that started stitching our support for each other back together again. But there's that contrast, your ability to feel, to you allowed each other to feel. So that human connection, that deep, meaningful connection between the two of you was activated by him noticing that you were feeling diff- that you were down and then asking you and then listening and then together kind of rebuilding. And that yeah. that was really that's really was it's very powerful and you actually went through that you whereas if you had kept that you know stuffed in the cupboard and he had kept his emotions stuffed in the cupboard it would have exploded anyway because it's going to it's volcanic in nature those these emotions so at some point yeah. that could have you could have grown apart uh, yeah. you could have become even you know pressed whatever we see this pattern we all know this this is we see this pattern happening a lot in this in the world today but you guys didn't do that you allowed yourselves to feel as hard as it was you actually allowed yourself to talk through how you felt and describe that and then he did and that is so yeah. powerful And, you know, you think it's going to be like a TV show or the movies where you have this big emotional response. And a viewer from the outside would have thought it was a very unemotional conversation, but it actually was very, you know, you talk about the quantum physics. Mm -hmm. It was very connecting. So I could have so easily said very flatly, I just had a rough day at work today. Mm -hmm. And then he could have gone on with the administration of, you know, our evening. I actually just sat in silence for a few seconds seconds thinking about how to talk to him about it. I told him I did cry because it was still emotional. Mm -hmm. And his response to me was to just listen first, Mm -hmm. which is very, very healing, you know, because when you speak words out loud, sometimes you realize how ridiculous the thoughts in your head are that are rattling around. Mm, That's brilliant description. Mm -hmm. And I was saying out loud, I feel guilty. That girl should not have been there at that hour. She should not have been out. She was too young. Like I was feeling the guilt of a mother. And so that allowed Randy to sort of look at me and say, do you hear what you're saying? making some 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 understanding of some of the improper thoughts that were rattling around there. So look what happened there in you saying you felt guilt and then which is that emotion that hit you along with the horror and the trauma and the tragedy and the pain and all those other normal re- reactions that we get to something terrible you started feeling a very conflicting concept of guilt because you know and, yeah. and you you couldn't work out why so on top of the pain you had this guilt conflict and why should you feel guilty but by saying it you allowed yourself to feel and that's the point of mm. what we're trying to talk about here which you did so well is you allowed yourself to feel you allowed yourself to say what almost you don't you didn't want to say and by Randy listening to you, he managed to reflect back at you and ask you, you know, why do you feel guilt? Listen to what mm-hmm. you're actually saying. You weren't responsible for that child. You know, so that obviously opened up. What did that do when he did that? What did that do for you? Well, it allowed me a time to consider other reasons I was feeling the guilt and process through that. 
right? And so, oh, maybe this is not, maybe this is not a healthy thought. Maybe, the, maybe mm-hmm. this isn't something I should be focusing on. You know what? But also, like I said, just saying it out loud reveals the truth versus the lie of those thoughts that are inside your head. Uh, and it was a connection between he and I, obviously, we, we started to connect, we were now problem solving together. That's absolutely beautiful that you that you saying it out loud gave you a connection point, And now you were problem solving together. So what do you think was the big issue, the big thing there, the, the, the fact that you actually reconnected and you were sharing that experience? Well, he was able to share a story with me that happened to him. So then I was able to switch my brain off from my own thoughts and listen to someone else who'd been through a similar situation. So that was powerful because I think one of the hardest things for us is when we think I'm the only one or no one else understands. And so for him to be able to tell a story that was similar, even though it wasn't exactly the same, um, he was in a position where he was reviewing video and, and he wasn't the combatant. So he is similar to where I wasn't the prosecutor. So there was this helpless helplessness. And also he was able to tell me from experience what that did for him over time and how dangerous that was. And he was able to encourage me to handle it differently. So that was another good outcome. It actually was the beginning of my journey away from the prosecutor's office. Well, you know, you know if, if, if I can just summarize that the steps that you went through when you did this as you so you came home from work and you were doing your normal I'm going to suppress this I'm going to do what I'm trained to do I'm not going to bring this home but it it had been the sort of straw that broke the camel's back or the final thing in the closet that made the closet door you know burst open and everything fall out and here in you were in a deep meaningful relationship which but there was a gap because of what he had gone through and you'd been away from each other for 15 months with his military uh, commitments etc so here here in in and he was dealing with his own stuff also applying the same training of don't bring it home keep it inside so mm-hmm. here's this really bad advice that we are giving the world <laughs> to not bring it home which makes sense but you can't internalize you you have to talk to someone and at home is where you're going to let your guard down and where it could affect relationships which if you hadn't dealt with your stuff and he hadn't dealt with his stuff it would have affected your relationship it was already yeah. starting to affect your relationship so you both did something excellent. Number one, you broke the so-called golden rule, which was to compartmentalize, keep it out of home, stuff it down somewhere in the corners of your mind, don't process it, which your body can't handle. Your mind mm-hmm. can't handle. Your mind and your body have to go through this. We have to cry. We have to, you said that, you cried, you spoke. Excellent. Then that he he noticed, and that's what I really want to point out here is that you both both broke the rule because which was a good rule to break because he noticed, <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. very key. Is are we are we so busy trying to stuff all our stuff down that we don't notice each other? So he went out of himself and noticed you, asked you what was wrong, listened, problem solved, and then he did something very interesting. Is he? Then shifted to when you were ready. He didn't come in straight away with his story. But when you were ready, when he had noticed, he had listened, he had allowed you to cry and express your emotions. You'd started a little bit of problem solving. You'd started kind of moving towards that. Then you were ready to hear his story, which made him relatable, that he doesn't Mm. completely understand. It's not the same story. You can't, your own experiences are unique, but he experienced something that made him feel very similar to what you were feeling. Also a very abnormal situation. So there was a connection. And then that helped you to then go deeper into problem solving. Yeah. And the connection we made gave us the tool for the next situation that came up. We started becoming closer and closer after that. 
That's incredible. Just explain that again. We'll take it a little deeper. So now that we'd had this common experience and we'd sort of learned that sharing these these things that we were keeping inside was an opportunity to problem solve together, uh, I felt like it was a turning point that started to open the door from his return home to to talk about more things in the open. It was it broke the quietness. It broke the secrecy of of, of feelings. Okay, that's what you've just said is absolutely outstanding. It broke the silence. I love that. And and that's really what, what I'm trying to get to. You've you've actually hit the heart and the core of what I'm trying to talk about in this podcast is that we've got to break the silence. And you broke that silence. And now that gave you a whole new way of coping. It gave you a new toolbox. As you said, you've literally, you had, you had coping strategies for the other things because nothing's solved in a day. Every day there's some new thing to deal with, mm-hmm. but you, it broke the silence. Mm-hmm. And if, if, if the silence hadn't been broken, Laurie, what do you think would have happened? Well, definitely we were on a course and, and we've still made mistakes this way going forward. Not that we have a perfect relationship, but but when when we choose to try to engage with each other, you know, sometimes we might we might argue about it. You've talked about this on your podcast, how to argue effectively mm-hmm. versus yeah. how to how not to. Um, but that just because you're arguing doesn't mean you're not engaging with each other, doesn't mean you're not deepening your relationship and your understanding of each other. And so we had to relearn how to engage with each other. Um, so that's what it did for us. There have definitely been times when we've gone back into silent mode and grown distant. There have definitely been times when we felt like we were in a season of arguing. Um, and then there are seasons where it seems like things are going really well. But but just keeping to put tools in the toolbox, is that's, that's the name of the game in, in relationships. That's incredible. Tools in your toolbox. I love that. I, I, I think that's incredible. Laurie, if you had to summarize your experience, what would you say would be key in this whole from the story and how the story was the trigger? What was the key takeaway that people could get from this experience of yours? Well, I think, you know, the first is that it was okay for me to have those initial feelings and take the time to process them. I think some people are so quick to share or overshare Uh, in the moment, like it's okay to take some time to process what's happening. But I had to reach the point where I understood, okay, now I'm at my limit, I can't just feel my feelings, I have to do something about it and to seek a trusted source. So I had a built in trusted source and my husband, but people have to have that trusted source and develop those relationships before something happens where they need to, to use it, you can't, you have to build that relational trust with someone ahead of time. So this is why having people in our lives that are that understand us and that we understand them is so important, right? For, Absolutely. for some, of, some of these moments. Um, and then being willing to be uh, vulnerable, that was scary. And I think when you feel that fear, you have to realize you are on the verge of a breakthrough. <laughs> that's outstanding. Yeah. Um, that's a big, big takeaway. Uh, the fear is like that last, it's that last ditch feeling that you get when something's about to, to experience relief. It's, it's that last bit that your, your brain wants to hang on to. Yo, know, I would say I took, I ended up being able to take it one step further. And this was a big key for me. This is my outlet. I talked to my husband about it, all the things we 
you talked about, but I also ended up writing about it. So for me, that was my outlet. Whatever your outlet is, be able to process it a little further. You don't have to process everything with another person. You can process some things yourself, you know? And so that's what I did. And and then being able to look back and not have it be a single situation, but I'm going to look back on it and learn from it. Sort of the, the autopsy you talk about mm-hmm. going back mm-hmm. to something when it's finished and analyzing it for future use. Brilliant. That's absolutely incredible. Okay, I'm going to summarize those seven things that you've said for the listeners, because I think it's outstanding. And I think that what you've given seven steps here that are fantastic. Okay, so first step is that number one, you needed the time to process to a point. So in terms of today's podcast, allowing ourselves to feel you broke the golden rule, and you allowed yourself to feel you didn't stuff it, you didn't suppress it, you actually allowed yourself to feel so you on your own started opening that door and started looking inside and started acknowledging and experiencing those feelings. Scary as it was, you did it. Then you, so you allowed yourself, which is step number two, you allowed yourself to feel. Number one, you gave yourself time to process. Number two, you allowed yourself to feel. You didn't suppress it. Mm -hmm. Number three, you reached a point where you felt that you could start talking about it, but that was triggered by someone that you trust, that you have a relationship with, that you're in deep, meaningful connection with, and they noticed. So the third point is to make sure that you have someone you can talk to and that those that the people in our lives actually notice enough to actually ask the question because your behavior was different that night and your husband noticed and you trusted him so you were able to express yourself. So point number three, trusted source to express. Point number four, you were you need to be vulnerable, willing to be vulnerable, willing to talk about mm-hmm. why do I feel guilt, you know, talk about stuff that may not sound like it makes any sense or stuff that may, may make someone else you may think that someone else is going to think you whatever crazy or that's wrong or and then you felt that when we are vulnerable like that you felt safe because you didn't feel judged by your husband you could say whatever even if it was terrible you felt safe enough to say it because you didn't feel that he would judge you so that goes to the kind of listening skill that your husband demonstrated which all of us as humans need to demonstrate we need to really listen to each other without judgment no matter what the other person is saying as they try and make sense of their own feelings because when we talk we kind of sometimes say all kinds of funny stuff that doesn't really mm-hmm. express what we're really trying to say and eventually we get there but at first it's a bunch of maybe really weird things that come out and to be and that makes you feel very vulnerable because we don't want to be told you know judged or whatever we want to be able to be comfortable point number five is that when you really start feeling that fear as you start facing the feelings you will reach a point where you will feel tremendous fear because you start seeing that, wow, this is really where I'm at. And that's the point at which you really need to embrace because that's the verge of the breakthrough. So point number five is Mm -hmm. face that fear, embrace that fear. And remember that when it's at the worst point, that's the verge of the breakthrough. Point number six, you don't have to tell everything to everyone. You don't have to process everything talking to someone, but you find another avenue and you found writing a huge part. And that's something that it's writing really helps to sort out the disorganization in our brain that comes from traumatic experiences. It creates tremendous disorder in our mind, which means that then there's tremendous disorder in our brain. So writing really helps with that. And then number seven, you did a mental autopsy and you continue to do a mental autopsy. So this thing never really ends. It's right. a continual process because you're constantly doing the mental autopsy, looking back and learning and applying it to future situations. Did I summarize that okay? Would you like to add something onto that or elaborate or fix anything? 
Well, um, I was just feeling my feelings. You just put the clinical cap on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did it. You did a beautiful job. You did a beautiful job, Laurie. This has been so insightful. And I just know the listeners have learned. I've, every time I talk to you and hear the story, I learned something new. And I think the really, if you had to just, you've given us seven key takeaways, which I've summarized. But if you could just say one thing to encourage people to feel their feelings, what would you say? Well, I would say that the the big key that you've actually taught me and that, that I sort of did by accident in this case was that breaking the silence of the feelings. The big key for me is our brains and our minds when they're working together are the are very powerful and they can come up with all kinds of things. Um, but sometimes verbalizing it helps you distinguish between what's in the love zone and the toxic zone mm -hmm. so that you can start to make sense of it. And it's not just playing in a loop. So for me, uh, taking the time to break the silence to talk about those things and process them out loud, you know, our ears hear our words, and it sounds different than hearing our minds in, you know, on the inside. And so that that was a skill I had to learn in order to start getting these breakthroughs. Excellent. So breaking the silence internally by admitting that you could not compartmentalize and start feel those feelings and then taking talking out loud, hearing yourself express your feelings. So those were two very key breakaway points or for you. So breaking that silence internally and externally. Yes. Brilliant. Absolutely outstanding. Laurie, thank you so much for being very vulnerable and sharing this very, very important story and helping people to realize we need to feel that it's part of the human condition, that unless you actually move through those feelings of pain and face what you are going through, you're not going to be able to heal them. And you've had some really good, a really good story here to help you to process. I really hope that this has helped you, that it's okay to feel, it's okay to have those negative emotions and those toxic emotions process through them because you will get your breakthrough. Thank you so much, Laurie, for joining us. It's been fantastic having you on the show. It's been great. And I'm excited to see everyone at the conference soon. Yes, absolutely. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter, where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf.